the question, the one asked by every human heart, the one asked since before recorded history, the one asked by countless people who have abandoned the faith when the answer was left wanting, abandoning the church, Jesus, even belief in God. The question, why do bad things happen to good people? Have you asked it? I know I have. And I know Job has as well. The book of Job famously poses the question, why do bad things happen to good people? And the secondary question that follows right on its heels, and if bad things do happen to good people, can a God who permits such suffering be good? Amazingly, though Job handles these tough questions, we only get to read from his book twice every three years in the lectionary cycle on Sunday Masses. So a little backstory to fill in this most significant book from the Old Testament. The book of Job could be a script for a play. It wouldn't have a lot of characters, and it would have a very simple set, but a play could follow from the book. The title character, of course, Job, is a good man husband, a father, successful businessman. He has got it all. Trustworthy, loyal, helpful, friendly, courteous, kind, obedient, cheerful, thrifty, brave, clean, and reverent is Job. In short, he's basically a saint. But the tragedy ensues, and he loses everything. He loses his property, he loses his health, he even loses the lives of his children. And we hear from the aftermath in today's first reading. I shall not see happiness again, says Job. Have you been there before? Just feeling like there can't be anything good that will come from this. As the story unfolds, Job has three that felt like they had been there before. Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. They don't have names like that these days. But these three friends come to Job, also good men, trying to be a support, trying to be compassionate. They actually sit with him in the ashes of his life for days. But then they speak. And as they do, they speak, well, they, actually they speak good things. They speak of God. And they speak of God's goodness. And they speak of God's justice. But then they turn, and they speak of Job. And they do what, sadly, so many of us try to do. And they try to figure it out. Why is so much badness happening to you, Job? And the only thing they can come up with is that Job must have done something wrong. This must be a result of your sinfulness. This must be a, a punishment by God. For God is just, and they're right about God. There is 
spiritual physics, if you will. When we start doing bad things, when we start sinning, it hurts our heart, it hurts our lives, it, it hurts our world. What's more, God is a loving Father who will discipline His children so as to draw them further into goodness. The three are right about God, but they're wrong about Job. For he has not done anything wrong. And what's more, not all suffering, not all suffering is a punishment. Job doesn't know why he's suffering, but he knows that he didn't sin. And so Job's reaction is interesting. He gets angry. He doesn't just suffer like a, like a plaster statue of a saint, just all piously. He's upset. He's angry. He cries out to God. And in the end, we get to hear God's response. We'll actually hear it the end of June. Feel free to read ahead in your Bibles at home, but late in June, that Sunday, we'll hear God and his response to Job. But a part of the response is this, that God gets angry at Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. And he praises Job. Wait, what? We could say, as we're watching this play unfold, how come he's praising Job? Job was just yelling at God. Job lost his temper. Why is God praising Job? Well, Whereas the other three said good things about God, said nice things about God, said true things about God, God praises Job because Job spoke to God. There's a world of difference between speaking about and speaking to. Job was in dialogue with the Almighty. He spoke to God, not just about the situation, not just like this was a case study to be figured out, but Job spoke to the Almighty and then listened as the Almighty responded. And I hope you know, in the end of the book, Job is blessed. The end of his day is even richer than the early days. Beautiful children, homes, and businesses, for God can draw good out of the worst of situations. That's beautiful. But I'll tell you what, it's not enough. Just to read the book of Job, if you are just feeling like everything is falling apart, don't just expect to read the book of Job and say, oh, now I understand. Any more than Job could have the presence of those three friends of his to make him understand. It's a start, and it's a good one. But it's not enough, for we go to the gospel. Today we hear of Jesus healing and casting out demons, preaching and teaching, and everything is going so well in Capernaum. Peter's mother-in-law has been healed. Now she's serving Jesus and the apostles. Everyone else in town is being healed. But the unthinkable happens. As good as it's going, Jesus leaves. After his night of prayer, he realizes it is time. He goes on to the other villages. For he's not just there for physical healing for any one town. 
He's not just there for physical healing. Why? Honestly, we don't know. But we know that it happens. We know that it happened once and for all. In the one place we can look to when we are suffering, when we do feel like everything is falling apart, we can look to the cross. He did not just come for physical health, for others or clearly for himself. We don't only have to look to the cross. We can also look to the crosses of our lives. Two examples from recent history, one from just last week. It was a year ago last week that the three statues from our chapel were taken and broken, and after a year, all three were repaired and paid for and returned. And those of you that were able to be with us last week know it was a powerful event, seeing Garrett one of the students that had taken and broken the statues, this time pick up the statue and return it to the chapel. It touched my heart, touched many. Dare I say, it changed some lives. No one wanted the statues to be damaged, surely not I. But somehow God drew good out of that miserable situation. For God is with us in the cross. And the second example, we don't even have to go that far back. We only have to go 15 minutes. You saw it at the doors of the church. Christopher Tompkins, right there with his grandmother as his sponsor. Christopher was never baptized. He's beginning a journey, continuing a journey now that will, in two weeks, he'll go before the bishop to be received in the the rite of candidacy. He'll go from there through the scrutinies of Lent, and please God, at the Easter Vigil, be baptized in the waters of new life. Christopher has dealt with a lot in his life, but now, now, he looks for the grace of the sacraments, he looks for the peace of God's Word, he looks to receive the Holy Eucharist, and he gives all of us an example of what our lives are really supposed to be all about. Simon Peter, in the Gospel, told Jesus that everyone is looking for you. And truer words have never been said. But it's not only to hear about Jesus. It's not only to to see him. It's not only to talk about him, but to be with him. To share our lives with him at the foot of the cross. And to share his life with us as he pours out his life, his very body and blood, that we may be with him now and forever.